Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Gay With God podcast. I am recording live at the Wild Goose Festival. This is my first time being at the festival, and I am so excited to be here at the Goose. I am just so impressed with the staff and all the people who are volunteering, and I have a special thank you to Rick and to Russ Jennings, Uh, for helping me get all set up and ready to go for this very exciting podcast. I just can't wait uh, to be able to talk with my guests and I can't wait to go hear other speakers and other podcasters because we have a great lineup here at the Goose Cast, our special little podcast tent, and I have met the most amazing people. So if you've never been here, please take a look at the Wild Goose Festival. You can find it on Facebook. You can Google that and find all these amazing, amazing uh, opportunities to be a speaker, uh, to camp and just take in the full beauty of everything. And I'm just so impressed that the staff here made every effort possible to keep us safe during COVID tide. Uh, We all had to be validated as vaccine ready. And so it is the the safest way to be with a bunch of like-minded people and to be inspired through every session you go to and everything that we do. So um, I'm excited and I can't wait to get started. I'm so thankful to Russ that he is a light in my life just all of a sudden. I met him by happen chance. We just were on a Zoom meeting together and my dearest friend, uh, Charles Britton, who has the, you know, bar mitzvah, beer drinking, cigar smoking podcast, you know, the Jew and the Gentile. Um, We started doing what we were doing on Zoom and I got to meet Russ all the way in New York City and He found out about my podcast and he invited me here. So I'm super grateful for him to do that. And I'm also grateful for Dr. Robin, who's with me today for the interview. And here's the thing. Dr. Robin went out of her way, their way. We're going to talk about pronouns in a minute. I'm 62. We're struggling. And Dr. Robin has been very gracious with me. But they went out of their way to get scheduled today because our schedules were conflicting. And I appreciate you Mm, doing that so very, very much. So I'm excited to have Dr. Robin with me today. And if you check your brochures and your schedules dr robin shows up frequently and you need to probably go okay Uh, dr robin is a trans queer activist latinx scholar and public theology they are the author of activist theology published by fortress press and co-direct a collaborative project called the activist theology project based in nashville tennessee which amazes me 
<coughs> that this is based in Tennessee. <laughs> that works to partner with the dominant culture to create culture shift by using the tools from theology and ethics. We believe in a deep togetherness or kun Huntel. In conjunto. Thank you. Um, I even phonetically spelled that, folks. You know, so we, there's no perfection here. It's just effort. Listen, perfection <laughs> is a hallmark of white supremacy. We are trying to be perfect. Oh, thank God. Now we can all relax. <laughs> Okay, uh, so we do that word, and we work to bring theory into a more ge- generative reality by translating theology to action. We collectively work to compost supremacy culture by responding to pressing social concerns. Having said all that at today, what we're focusing on is Dr. Robin's faith journey, because Gay With God is all about how did you come out? How did it affect you? Were you able to keep your faith? Did you lose your faith? Have you reclaimed your faith? And how does it look today? So all the stories that come through my podcast are unique. Even though you might think, hey, this sounds like a a journey that everybody takes. We all do it in our own way. And so I'm very interested to hear your story, Dr. Robbins. So welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. uh, Tell us your story. Well, um, my story has many twists and turns, like any river or any creek. Uh, I was born to a Mexican woman, not of this country, and an Anglo man, so I'm a mixed-race Latinx. And I lived with my Mexican mother until I was about 12. I was in Catholic school growing up, and so my first introduction to religion or faith or Christianity was through Catholic social teaching, and I'm still very much indebted to the Catholic Church for providing me a moral compass, if you will, which I know can be problematic for some people, but it sort of helped me understand, okay, like we've got to figure out how to navigate this world. And the teachings of Jesus is one way that we can explore the world. And that really made an impression on me. However, there was a Southern Baptist church a mile from my house in Longview, Texas, which is where I was born and lived for 12 years. And while I was attending Catholic school, wearing a uniform every day (laughs) and going to mass three times a week, I began riding the church bus. I don't know if that's still a thing that they do. Yes. Um, I began riding the church bus to church twice on Sundays and once on Wednesdays. And, and, you know, growing up in the ways that I did in the mid, I was born in the mid seventies. And so, Uh, My parents divorced when I was very young, and so I was being raised by a single parent who was working seven days a week, and church really became my home in many respects, and and I think there's a lot of people for whom that is true. Yes. And and yet, as much as it was home, I, I understood that I was different in the world, not just racially, because at a very young age, my brown Carmely mother asked me if anyone ever made fun of me for the color of my skin. Now, if you look at me, you might think, why would anyone make fun of you for the color of your skin? Because I am very much white presenting. Yes. But for my mom, who never did take me out into public for fear that someone would someone would think that she was stealing a baby because she's so dark Um, for her racism was very real and she did not want me to face the same stigma or the same challenges that she has faced and continues to face well into her 70s 
a side story, we, we were kicked out of an Asian restaurant in Nacogdoches, Texas, early in my PhD program because she was brown. Wow. So, like, the racism is real for her, and she didn't want me to endure that. And so... I knew that I was different, but I, I didn't completely understand racialized difference until I was much older and learned that I could check a box that said Hispanic, which is a whole, which is a whole other story. So I knew that I was different in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, racially, mm-hmm. I was different. But then also I had this whole gender and sexuality difference that like embodied knowledge, which... Now I say it was embodied knowledge, but like when I was five, six, seven, eight, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have said that was embodied knowledge. I just knew that I didn't feel girl or girlish. Okay. But I also didn't feel boy or boyish. Okay. I felt somewhere in between or neither. And so I didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. And, And the church where I felt at home wanted me to wear a dress. (laughs) Which I was very uncomfortable in. Yeah. And wanted me to, you know, perform this expected gender role. And also, like, when I was older, um, I... I wanted to be more involved in church. The Catholic church wouldn't let me be an altar boy because I didn't have the right genitalia. Ugh. And I, I really wanted to be involved in church yeah. in some way, right? Yeah. I'm a reluctant leader these days, um, but maybe that was th- those were the seeds sure. of, of leadership. So I knew that I was different. Uh-huh. Um, fast forward, when I moved to live with my white father in San Antonio, Texas, he said, I'd like to have a beer every once in a while so we can't go to the Baptist church, but let's go to the Lutheran church. So by then (laughs) I was in eighth grade and uh, started going to the Lutheran church and was confirmed Lutheran. So if you ask a church historian or theologian, they will say that I'm I'm really Lutheran because I was confirmed (laughs) by the Lutheran church. Uh I have Baptist roots. And I'm trying to suture those roots and suture those wounds. Yes. So I'm in the Lutheran church. I find a youth minister when I'm in college who was substitute teaching for my math class. And 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 I I figure out she's she's there. Now, this is in Texas where religion is both football and church. <laughs> so she's substitute teaching and invites me to youth group as any good youth minister would do so i come home that day and i tell my dad i i've I've met someone and i want to go to this church and he said well i'm not going to take you and it was about 15 miles away from where i was living so i was going to have to find a ride Uh so he would drive me about two miles of the way and then i would hitch a ride and go to church. So it's another form of the church bus to the Baptist church, you right, know? Right. So in my high school years, I really felt compelled by this Baptist church. And part of it was the spirit of the community. Mm-hmm. It was very active. Uh, you know, we read the Bible together. That's something that's very meaningful to me. And and yet I was still dealing with this difference that I had, right? Right. right. And I was very quiet about it. And then I had a brain aneurysm when I was 16. What? (laughs) 
and had felt a call to ministry, but was told that can't be true because I don't have the right genitalia. Right. And still dealing with the sexual difference and the racial difference. And as soon as I recovered from the brain aneurysm and and two brain surgeries, two open craniotomies, the, the worship pastor came and said, oh, you must be called. Right. They used that event as a way to justify my specialness. Wow. Wow. And then I went to college and left gave up my music scholarship to study the big ideas of philosophy and theology and the rest is history so before we go into the rest of his history can we have a big round of applause for dr robin who has had brain surgery she still talks on a level that i can't even understand sometimes because i'm an aries we need to bring that up often but well i'm a leo so oh my god i'm married to a leo you know what? now I'm, this makes perfect sense my, my chosen mother is an aries uh, we are so connected, yeah. and we just don't know it. So uh, let's back up just a moment and, and tell me, as you were struggling and you, you didn't feel like you fit in, did your family understand what you were going through? Were you able to process that with them at all? When did they – I'll ask you th- 300 questions, and you pick whatever one yeah. you want. Did they know? How did you tell them? How did you work that out with your family? So – because I had this brain surgery, and I, and I mentioned that brain aneurysm because it was a pivotal moment yeah. um, in, in my life and the life of my family. What my family should have done is take me to therapy to process Bingo. that, yes. right? Yes. But, but what my family did at that time is reduce me to being pathologically crazy. Ugh. That obviously there was something wrong. So that narrative got spun enough that it made me feel really insecure that I could even go to my family to tell them anything. Because I had just survived this brain aneurysm, which my neurosurgeon, David Dean, um, who... I don't know if he's still living. He he was Christian at the time and um, was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me nine out of ten people don't survive the brain aneurysm, wow. much less the surgery. Wow. And if they do, they're either blind, deaf, paraplegic, quadriplegic, like not functional. So, mm-hmm. so the fact that th- I am what I am today is no short of... Maybe we would say miracle. I would. I mean, a medical miracle. Um, I was in a coma for three days. Uh, had to. Well, I was in a hospital for a month, learning how to walk again. Um, finished high school on time. Went on to college, and whatnot. But because that narrative of me being crazy was so prevalent, mm-hmm. my family wasn't a safe place to go. No. Nope. So I. So I. I found myself. Uh, studying uh, the big questions of life. I, I I was reading theology as a high school student, you know, Calvin and Luther. I was a very curious young person. I didn't know that being a theologian was something that someone could do, mm-hmm. much less a trans queer theologian. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Th- those pieces of myself were still very much buried and t- searching for air mm-hmm. in, in my world. When I got to college, I went to a Baptist university in Abilene, Texas, Hardin-Simmons University. Now, Abilene, Texas has has 
similar to Charleston, South Carolina, has the most churches per capita in Abilene, Texas, Taylor <laughs> County. So it's a very religious town. There's a Baptist University, there's a Church of Christ University, Abilene Christian, and there's a United Methodist uh, School, McMurray. Now, the Baptists always chided the United Methodists because they were a little bit too liberal. So we didn't fraternize with McMurray. <laughs> But ACU, Abilene Christian, they were a little bit more Jesus-thumping, Bible-thumping, mm-hmm. you know, closer to mm-hmm. the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. Do y'all so, know what she's talking about, Bible-thumping, straight and narrow? And let's just remember the pronouns. Are they them? Speak about that. Well, let we're, me, we're taking a commercial to teach Midge how to do this. <laughs> so so during that time, I'm, my gender stuff is bubbling up. I'd, I've always been gender nonconforming. Mm-hmm. And... and I was non-binary before non-binary existed, but I was conscripted into these gender pronouns um, before they, them was made available. And so it wasn't until, it wasn't until I was early in my doctoral program that I began using just my name as my pronoun. So opting out of any pronouns. And then I migrated to the, they, them pronouns and and that fits i think um i f- i feel like i have a plurality of being in me um i don't have a singular being i'm i'm a multiplicity and the they them pronouns feels like the multiplicity and i and i credit i credit my studies in philosophy and theology for getting me there mm-hmm. now i was deeply closeted in college okay um, partially because had I come out, I would have been kicked out of my school. Right. So you had an essence of who you were, but you did not come out to other people. I was deeply afraid yeah. to come out sure. in my early 20s uh, for fear that I wouldn't be able to get my degree. Right. That the friends I had would disown me like my family had done. Yes. Um. I had a partner at the time, and we were partnered for 16 years and married and whatnot, but we went our separate ways after I finished my PhD. Um, But I was deeply closeted during those college years. Now, I left Texas in my mid-20s and moved to Chicago, Illinois for seminary and cut my teeth on radical queer politics. Y'all, I have seen things that I have never, (laughs) ever seen before. And then when I went to San Francisco Pride years later, I saw even more things, (laughs) if you know what I mean. It was uh, it was a whirlwind I education. Bet. I bet. So when I moved to Chicago, I felt more comfortable to come out. Okay. To start spending time in spaces that were more heavily populated with LG, L and G people. One of the questions I asked Midge before I agreed to the podcast, I'm like, well, I don't agree. I, I don't know. I don't identify as gay and God is a contested term. Would I still be welcome? She was like, oh, yeah. We're just going to hear your story. I'm like, okay, great. (laughs) So when I moved to Chicago, um, I was still looking for a church home because we are meaning making people. I was going to seminary, so I felt like I needed to be in a church home to sort of foster my, my mind and my heart and my spirit. But interestingly, when I was in my ordination process, a cis white gay man cis white gay man (laughs) told me I had an allergy to myself because I identified as queer queer to me in my in my early and mid 20s felt 
home to me. You know, I'm sort of a strange person. I'm, I'm, I, I like to destabilize the binaries. I like to destabilize all that is. It's a queer fit for me. Mm-hmm. And so I really began identifying as queer. The, the trans piece came later. Um, but the queer piece was, was very early. And again, it felt like home. Mm-hmm. And this cis white gay man who was ordaining me was like you have an allergy to to yourself and you need to be you need to do more professional development you don't know who you are oh my goodness and so i left the church yeah because if the place that has been home to me for decades Mm -hmm. is now saying i have an allergy to myself for the way that i identify why would i stay Mm -hmm. so i went and did uh, clinical pastoral education which is the training you do to become a chaplain and I I did the three units of CPE and then I did a residency which is a year long very intensive learning and I worked in critical care and so I was with very very sick people and I learned how to provide pastoral care to people and learn how, just how to be with people who were in this hospital and sick and um, I, I, I did more um, work with the staff and doctors I was on a first name basis with the doctors um, who were really who really liked my approach of conversation and collaboration around spiritual care and and so I, I had a great rapport at the hospital but that year that I that I did my CPE residency was the year everything came undone for me wow. and not only had I left the church but I I completely left my faith and I, and I was like I don't know if there's a god sure and now, mind you, I'd been trained in philosophy. I was I was in seminary, and so I'm I'm reading a lot of big thinkers, big ideas, and and I and I came across a lot of thinkers who had a lot of the same questions that I had. Is there a God? Mm-hmm. If there is, how do we know? Mm-hmm. And so that question for me helped me unravel the bullshit, as I say. And I, I asked, I just want to say, I asked my grandfather, who is a minister, at four years old, my brother had been born, and I said, who made God? What do you think his answer was? Go to bed. <laughs> that was it. Go to bed. So it's interesting yeah. that we're searching for answers that no one seems to know. Right. And right. that's where what that word faith yeah. comes in. Yeah, so everything is unraveling for yes. me. And I, and I have a seminary teacher who is who was born and raised in Latin America, and she's from Argentina. And she believes deeply in following the ways of Jesus. Mm. Not worshiping Jesus, mm-hmm. not singing praise to Jesus, but following the ways of Jesus, mm-hmm. living out the Christian faith in tangible ways. So everything was unraveling for me. My Southern Baptist life, yeah. my Baptist life in general, and yet I'm I'm being trained to think about Christianity as an ethic, mm-hmm. as a way of following, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm still in touch with my teacher. She she's really is my doctor mutter in in many respects, um, 
and we continue to engage in sort of epistolary conversation. We write letters to each other. And just recently she said to me, because I, I said to her, I'm like, you know, epistemologically, and that's the philosophy of knowledge production. I said, epistemologically, I don't know if there's a God. Like, <laughs> I don't have the brain width or the right. bandwidth to discover. Right. And she said to me, the Christian faith is a paradox. <laughs> it is, I believe, but help my unbelief. Ah. And that's really the essence of my story. I believe in the ethic of Jesus. I believe that Jesus was composting the bullshit, which is what I try to do at the Activist Theology Project. But is there a God? Is there some transcendent being living outside time and space? I don't fucking know. <laughs> if there is, great. If there's not, okay. I don't know. And so, really... Tell, tell me, Tell me how you're okay with that. Well, I think being told enough times that you don't belong here tells me you're using a power and control mechanism, a coping mechanism, a maladaptive coping mechanism to keep people controlled. Yeah. And that to me doesn't seem like the way of Jesus mm -hmm. because what Jesus was doing was turning tables over, disrupting the status quo. But what evangelical Christianity, which, which are my roots mm -hmm. and which much of mainline Christianity is doing take the United Methodist Church, for example, is trying to maintain the status quo, trying to keep things in a conformist right. perspective. Right. And that just doesn't seem like the ways of Jesus. Right. So the, the origin of God or the existence of God doesn't matter as much as following almost like your, your, your soul. Yeah, and and that means that we have to be okay with a multiplicity of differences because yeah. what your soul might be telling you, and I mean that's another philosophical question. Can we just talk about if there is a soul or not? I mean, you know, Plato and Aristotle thought they had it figured out, but who knows? Who you knows? know, but your soul might be telling you something, yes. but my soul might be telling me something completely different. So how actually do we bridge those differences and create the kind of world we long to inhabit? Love. If we come from a place of love, all all roads should meet there. Even if we come to it differently, that's that's my perspective, is that if we come to it differently, but we all come from a place of love, we have to meet somewhere in the middle. Well, that's the thing with COVID that has got me so concerned that mm. we don't know how to trust one another in that's this right. moment. That's right. Because we don't know how to love each other. Yes. So... I, I try to listen deeply to folks. Mm -hmm. I try to be attentive to difference. Mm -hmm. um, I have these three letter, three little letters behind my name that give me credibility in rooms that other people don't. So I make sure that just because I have a PhD doesn't mean that I get the last word or 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 get the best word. But how do we actually listen to one another? Mm -hmm. How do we cultivate generosity with one another? How do we learn to tell our stories from, from an honest place so that you and I are able to come together and be knit together mm -hmm. in a really way, a really beautiful way so that so that the tapestry isn't assimilationist or isn't conformist, but it's a tapestry of difference. Right. How do we do that work? Right. So that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> so, you're just... 
I, I could just, I, I'm not saying much because I'm listening. <laughs> and I just, I love how you put that, that, you know, it's a tapestry and we've got to all come together. And when we can't, you know, someone has to shift. Yeah. You know, someone has to shift. Well, and, we all have to shift. Yes. Let's, let's remember that coalition yeah. is not home. And even in coalitional work, people get um, eclipsed and people get invisibilized. And so, you know, we're, you know, in movement work, we're all trying to do, b- build a coalition, but is coalition the right, the right method? Right. I like to think about bridging as, as a method mm-hmm. and can we bridge with difference and create the kind of world we long to inhabit? I think if we follow the way of Jesus, if we follow the way of Allah, if we follow the, you know, the, the three Abrahamic traditions are very, very similar, but they've been played out in very toxic ways. Mm-hmm. Why? Because of power and control, because of cis hetero toxic patri- patriarchy, um, because of supremacy culture. If we can learn how to compost the bullshit, which is a technical theological term, uh, <laughs> then we can really we can really live this contemplative way in the way of justice, mm-hmm. uh, which people have been gunned down and murdered for mm-hmm. doing. Yes, but yes. there's a risk. In, in this way, there is a risk, and there's a risk to to our path in general. You know, coming out in the South, in the rural South, yep. and all of the dogma and the and and I've said this so many times that that the difference between how I was raised in an Advent Christian church with a minister grandfather, a minister uncle, and total. You know, no context other than this minister taught this to this minister who taught right. this, and everybody believes the same way. So right. when you ask a question, they all give you the same answer, right. but there is no division, you know, or diversity in right. that. So coming out in this climate and having our families, you know, disrespect, disown, leave you, all of those things complicate the path yeah you know first we have to be okay with ourselves and our faith and then we can well we don't have to be okay but at some point we need to be able to be okay with with our perspective before we can then enter a conversation and make a big difference and i know that's a generalization and not but the other thing that worries me is that that cisgender white male, that is like our community being homophobic against our community. Right. And that happens so much because we haven't taken that piece of us that is still homophobic right. toward ourselves. Right. Even though I, we may wear the rainbow colors and we come on this podcast and we look like we got it all together, there's that piece of us that still has that little doubt. Right. Well, what if right. <laughs> those other Christians have it right and I'm going to hell? You know, we often don't talk about this. We don't talk about internalized depression mm-hmm. or internalized racism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, my Mexican mother who continues to face racism, when, my, when I moved to live with my white father, he was adamant for me to check the box that says Hispanic. <laughs> Why? Because he wanted me to get a good deal for college. <laughs> But I had so internalized hatred Mm -hmm. for anything Mexican or Mexican-American 
that to do that meant I was betraying myself. Mm. But to do that meant I was visibilizing myself. Yes. So it's very complicated. Yes. Unprocessed trauma is oppression. Yes. And when we don't deal with our internalized bullshit, whatever it is, mm-hmm. internalized racism, internalized oppression, internalized homophobia, queer phobia, transphobia, when we don't deal with that which we've internalized, we we might be accelerating trauma in unprocessed ways. Yes. So we we might be causing harm. Yes. To ourselves and to one another. We have to learn how to be in relationship with one another. And going back to your sort of um, your your lesson to we have to learn to be okay. Learning to be okay takes a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Yes, and takes relationship and community. We are meaning making people. All of our, I mean, think of any circumstance in your life. We we always try to make meaning out of it. Why did that happen? Mm-hmm. What did that mean? Those are questions of meaning making. So until we actually compost the bullshit mm-hmm. and actually learn to make meaning out of what is in front of us and be in relationship with a multiplicity of difference, we we will not have arrived. I mean, I, I just take the stories of Jesus as an example. He was constantly making meaning, tipping over tables to make meaning like this isn't about exploiting people. This is about equity, right? We are right. still having that conversation in late stage capitalism. The world is yes. falling apart before our eyes. Yeah. And yet we have examples, Gandhi, Jesus, other people, how to wage peace in the world. And it requires relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like you still have a relationship with your family? So my father passed away in my mid-twenties from cancer, and we were estranged at the time. Mm. So, And he was my best friend mm. growing up. And so it was really hard to lose that relationship. Um, he was a good dad. Uh, he saved me from a situation. I was living with my mother who was abusive um, and lots of dysfunction. So he very much saved me from that situation. But with, with, with any piece of salvation, there, there is the other side of that. Hmm. And so even though I was saved from a situation of violence and dysfunction, I was conscripted into a situation that was equally as problematic with power and control. Mm-hmm. And so I really had to leave that situation when I was 18 mm. and go to college and sort of find my bearings. And so I, I don't have a relationship with that side of my family. Um, my mother and I still talk. Uh, she texts every day to say good morning, Aww. but, but even, but even that relationship is fraught because she's not dealt with her unprocessed trauma. So she perpetuates harm and dysfunction. So my family is chosen family. Yes. And that's, that's what a lot of us queer folks and trans folks have to do. Yeah. We have to knit together people of choice Mm -hmm. because our bloodlines are so fraught with unprocessed trauma Mm -hmm. that it harms us yes and stepping away from that is a journey yeah you know i i have family that i know love me on a level 
that they grew up loving me. Yep. And then once knowing that I was gay, they still loved me conditionally and right. still thought I was going to hell. And to this day, uh, my mom, if you asked her, if you pinned her down and asked her, is Midge going to hell? She'd probably say yes. Or she'd say, I don't know anymore. She might get, she might have graduated to the I don't know. Yeah. I, I kind of quit asking the question, but um, that that whole that whole journey of their expectations for us, and yeah. then not allowing us to expand and to become who we were created to be, and only stick to that conformity, yeah. um, and that also kind of hampers our our journey of growth inside ourselves right. to get away from the inner homophobia because we're always being brought back to it <laughs> at Thanksgiving. You know, there, there was a time where uh, we had a family reunion. My grandfather was getting older, and so that's when you have to get together, when people are about to die. Right. And, and so we had this big family reunion, and I came... Uh, but my dad had made it clear that that my friend at the time was not welcome. Right. And she didn't want to go anyway because she doesn't go anywhere. She's not welcome. And so I went. And for the whole day, I was asked questions about, well, Midge, are you married? And I'm like, well, no, I'm not married. Well, are you dating? Like, is this relevant at a, re- you know, at a reunion? Apparently. While you're eating your turkey breast and yeah. gravy? Right. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, um, it's not really dating. And, and I had to kind of pretend that I was, you know, a 30-something woman with no life. And so afterwards, I hung out with my rebel cousin, Candy Noble Wallace from Virginia, and she was like a biker chick. And so she and I like just kind of came together because we both were being looked at weirdly. And um, so when the family reunion was going to happen the next year, because my grandfather had not died, so we we're still trying to get it in before he dies. Um, <laughs> It's a noble thing, but we don't have problems because we're the nobles. Right. Um, So that year I said to my dad, I said, well, you know, I'm not going to spend a whole day again trying to pretend that I don't exist. And he says, well, what does that mean? I said, if somebody asks me if I'm in a relationship, I'm going to say yes. And they say, oh, do I know him? I'm going to say, yeah, her name is Sue. And my dad, I thought, almost had a heart attack. And he said, no, 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 you can't do that. And I said, well... If I come to the reunion, I'm not going to lie, and I'm going to say my truth. And his response was, well, you best not come. Hmm. So I didn't come. And I didn't come to the next one. And by the third one, my grandfather had died, and now my father was dying. And he decided to have a reunion for himself. <laughs> and he says, so and you're going to come, and you're going you're gonna to come. And I said, Daddy, I don't know if you remember this conversation, but... I'm not coming because I can't be myself and I'm not going to lie. And he said, no, you're going to come and you're going to bring your family. And then he died before the reunion. Mm. However, I thought that was growth. So if I were to ask my dad if I was going to hell, I think he would say yes, but I still wanted to come to the reunion. (laughs) Well, I I wonder if they know that hell doesn't exist. Well, honey. (laughs) I mean, we, in fact, we've created hell on earth. I'll tell you what, I agree with that so much right now. If I didn't believe it before, I believe it now. (laughs) You know, what what gets me is that hell is not even canonical. It's not even part of the tradition. It it was manufactured. Speak to the Jew in the the crowd. Yay, my friend. Right? It's not not canonical. And and yet, we have have scared people out of hell and, quote, into heaven. Yes. Um, we, we, We have conned people in the church. 
Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's a that's a tangent. But I'll tell you, it's a tangent, and I love it. And and you're probably going to come back to the Gay with God show at some point because I don't think we're done. I don't think we're done. How much time do we have there, Russ? In about twenty minutes. Cool. So let me ask this question and see where it goes. <laughs> if if someone else came to you that was struggling with their inner homophobia or their their you know coming out on the the somebody said the how did they put it the alphabet mafia yeah <laughs> i know that confuses me too but um what would you what would you say to that person to help them get through that point because one of the reasons i started the gay with god podcast is i was tired so tired and and dis- distressed at how many suicides happen in our community because yeah. of that i can't be gay and christian right. and i was part of that i mean i i'm i'm still surprised i'm here yeah. but you know in that moment of despair where if I have if I'm going to go to hell even though it doesn't exist but at, t- at the time I, I thought yeah. it would if I'm going to go to hell for being Christian I mean gay then why wouldn't I just go now I'm not going to wait around I mean I'm a I'm a go-getter kind of girl so if you're going to send me to hell I'll just go ahead and go now you because the it. waiting would just destroy me yeah. <laughs> so um you know with with that you know I lost my train of thought um what do okay. I say to folks who... What, what would you who, yeah. say to folks? Because, oh, there it is. I'm so proud of you for listening. Um, <laughs> so I don't want people to keep dying right. because they can't blend or, or reclaim whatever faith in the God of their understanding. So what would you say? So I would say two things. Uh, one is it's important to have a hermeneutic of suspicion. So this sort of strategy of being suspicious about what we're taught Mm. and also having a hermeneutic of retrieval, Mm. learning to retrieve the pieces that serve us well. Um, People find me all the time who are coming out. Mm. And so I do, they slide into my DMs. And so I I have a whole cadre of folks who reach out to me, um, some of whom I actually get to meet and be in relationship with some, some of whom don't live near me. And so mm-hmm. it's a long distance. In fact, I'm kind of mentoring a, a young person in Jordan right now who is coming out as trans. We don't know non-binary or male or, you know, we just know that mm-hmm. it's trans something. Um, and so we get to zoom about once a month and nice. I, I just, they were just in Nashville. So we got to have my partner and I got to have dinner with, the whole family um, nice. and what I said to them to their parents uh, who are two cis white straight you know <laughs> who've done a lot of deconstruction I said to her, to her dad um, to their dad specifically thank you for your deep posture of welcome for your kid because yes. you're keeping them alive yes. so um, you know when, when I talk to people who are under 18 I always get the parents involved because right, I right. want to have a relationship with the parents yes. too yes um, but I, I I get a chance to say to folks um, tell me your story yeah and I just listen to their story and then when they when they ask me questions I answer them honestly yeah and and a lot of a lot of my strategy is how do I keep young people safe Mm-hmm. Because being trans, being gender nonconforming, especially if you're assigned male at birth and you want to be gender nonconforming, yeah. we, we, we have so much internalized misogyny in this world. We don't know how to deal with 
people who are assigned male at birth who want to wear skirts. Right. And so there's a lot of violence against those yes. bodies. Yes. Right. Why are trans women of color uh, most of the most of the murders that happen? Yes. Right. Yes. So um, I talk a lot about safety with with folks. I talk a lot about if you're going to engage in sexual activity, here are some of the things you need to do Perfect. and be aware of. Uh, there are medicines out there to to that you should think about if you're going to engage in particular behavior. Right. Um, so I talk a lot about safety. Um, a lot of these folks have left the church, but they find me because I still believe in meaning making. Right. And I mean... I, I, I'm a one-trick pony. All of my degrees are in theology. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I stay in my lane of, of doing theology and ethics, you know? Yep. So we do talk about religion, uh, but we talk about it through the lens of storytelling and meaning-making. Right. And for some people, they have retrieved or reclaimed some pieces. Mm-hmm. And for other people, they're not there yet. Yeah. And they may never get there. But, and I'm not trying to proselytize. Like we we can live in a robust multivocal polyvocal democracy, and we don't all have to be the same, right? And so I advocate for the politics of radical difference. It's a bunch of my scholarship um, because difference will actually make us a healthier democracy, right? Right. In Randolph County, where I live, it's a very red state community. Well, we're a red state, but Randolph County is really red. And um, I was asked to be interviewed on what my thoughts and opinions are of incorporating LGBTQ curriculum into the sex education in our Randolph County schools. (laughs) I'll let you know when the papers hit. Because I spoke my mind. Yeah. And I think that's that's really important for us to begin that journey of owning ourselves is when we start having those questions, when we feel different during those videos where you watch something go up and you don't even want to look at it. You know, right. it's it's did y'all see that video when you were in fifth grade and they showed the oh, it was embarrassing. It just, oh, and this is how it rises. And this is how it comes back down. I'm like, I don't want to see that. Right. I'm a, <laughs> and I had no clue about me, but I knew that it wasn't going to have anything to do with that. No disrespect to any males in the room. Um, but I think that's where it has to start yeah. is when we're questioning. And if we don't have an affirming family, someone has to step in and tell us that side, how to be safe. Yeah. You know, how to how to go about expressing yourself. Where are the safe places to go to get these questions answered? And for in Randolph County, there aren't very many places. Right. So that's a that's can, a problem. Can I also say that um, when I finished my Ph.D. in 2015, I, I moved west to the queer utopia of the Bay Area of California. <sighs> and and I thought, you know, my my vision for that time of my life, you know, it was my first faculty post in Berkeley. I had my dream job. I thought, gosh, I'm going to be sitting in cafes, <laughs> listening to music and staring at avant-garde art. And I'm going to be having all these like revolutionary <laughs> conversations. And I did not find my people there. Oh, And my impetus to move home to the South, I'm from Texas, but I chose the regressive politics of Tennessee over Texas because I thought that was a good decision. (laughs) But I moved to Nashville because I wanted to be in middle America and I wanted to find my people and I wanted to suture the wounds of my roots. Mm -hmm. 
And and the thing that I tell people all the time is you got to find your people. And for me, it meant leaving queer utopia. Yeah. Wow. Which is a very hard. I mean, the, the California, the Bay Area is a hard place to live, but it's especially hard if you can't find your people. Right. And so I moved home to Nashville. I suddenly found my people in the South. That's incredible. <laughs> and 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 I say to people who 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 do come to me for sort of advice on how do I navigate my life now that I'm out, you got to find your people. Yeah. You got to be safe, and you got to find yeah. your people. And and they're out there. Yeah, many of them are here. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you so much, Doctor Robin. You. I I just. I love listening to you and I love talking to you and I, I thank you again for making all the efforts to get our schedules to mix. Well, because- I think we need to thank Russ and Rick for <laughs> making it happen because they yeah. were the ones dealing with my schedule. Yes. Yes. I, I was easy. I had one thing, one thing only to do. And then there was Dr. Robert. And it was like, we can't, how are we going to get this to work? So I really, really appreciate it. And I want to thank you guys for showing up. Thank you so, so much. I said, to, I said to Russ, what if nobody comes? He says, well, just pretend they're there. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> and then look we've at got all a full house, and pe- people are even out on the picnic tables yeah. outside the hey, tent. Show me some noise, guys. Show me some noise. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I forgot to do that in the beginning because I was nervous, but that's okay. Um, so I want to thank all the listeners that um, tune in each week, and I want to thank them for supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see more information and links to connect with Dr. Robin, of course, just look in your brochure. But let Later, when I post this to Podbean, I'm going to be sharing all the links so people can get with Dr. Robin. Um, and that you've got it on those cards that I handed out today. But for those who are listening at empoweredmidge.podbean.com, that's the show page where you'll see Dr. Robin's delightful face and all of the links. If you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with the God of your understanding, if you are authentically gay, God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, wow, that was great. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay with God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay with God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.